My name is Ken Stone King. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're going to talk about something today that is pretty simple, uh, but can also be fairly complex. I'm going to pose a couple of questions to you, and I think the youngest of you that are in here this morning can probably answer the first question. Uh, is it right to lie? Okay, great. Okay, let's have a closing prayer, and we can all go to breakfast. Uh, that, was the sim- that was the simple one. Is, it, is a lie ever justified? Now, be careful how we answer that, because lying takes many, many different forms, and we're going to talk about some of those this morning. In fact, I'm going to read a story to you that I came across uh, early this week, and it pretty much shook my world as I started thinking all the categories of what was black and white and right and wrong, and I tried to put myself in this man's shoes and say, would I have done that? And then I've had a couple of experiences in my own life recently where the truth was not as clear as I thought it would be. In fact, I thought if I just did the right thing and if I was just true, if I was just honest every step of the way, then things would work out. Have you ever had a case where things didn't work out when you were true and you were honest and you were straightforward? On the other hand, have you had times where you have lied and it's been a a lie of necessity, a justifiable lie, a little white lie, And because we did, things really seemed to work out better. In fact, if we'd have told the truth, we'd have been in a heap of hurt. Um, So it it isn't that simple, is it, as as right and wrong? Well, we want to look at a couple of things. We want to look at a story, and then I'm going to look at the Scriptures, because the Bible is very clear on what the nature of God is and His expectation of us, and then we'll look at some practical applications as we go. Uh, If you're going to look at a verse, we're going to look all over the Bible today, but there's one that I want you to camp on, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Let me read it to you, and you can keep your finger in that place because we'll be coming back to that a little, little later. Ephesians 4, verse 25 reads, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I picked up a book, very interesting, I've had in my library for some time, and I think it was one of those that I probably haven't read a whole lot, but it's called Anatomy of a Lie. It's written by Dr. Diane Comp. She's a pediatrician on staff at uh, Yale University, I believe it is. Uh, excellent writer, and all through the book, very intriguing around, around this idea, but she shares this a story that she ran across uh, when she was visiting in Europe of a, actually a Yankee army chaplain who was imprisoned. Let me read it for you. It's a little longer, but um, we like stories, so follow along with me. More than a century ago, our nation was in tears as both armies claimed that truth was marching on its side. America, not Bosnia nor Rwanda, was torn in two. Captives sat in dank prisons, dreaming of their final liberation. Better to die of typhus in freedom, clutching your flag, than to breathe your last surrounded by the foe. Prisoner H. Clay Trumbull must have had such dreams as well, including the day he found himself in the ethical emergency that inspired this book. Quoting uh, Pastor Trumbull, he says, Being forced to consider the possible justification of the so-called quote-unquote lie of necessity, I was brought to a settlement of that question in my own mind and have since been led to an honest endeavor to bring others to a like settlement of it. The author goes on to say, that is, that is how this former army chaplain 
opened his narrative when he sat down decades later to write about his fellow federal, his fellow federal captives' blueprint for escape. When his friends first described their escape plan to him, Trumbull realized that the success of the entire scheme depended on telling a lie to their Confederate guard. His moral sense recoiled at the prospect of lying to an enemy soldier. Trumbull was unable to go along with the plan. Trumbull's fellow prisoners argued that war had suspended their obligations to tell the truth to those who had forfeited their social rights. Trumbull, on the other hand, felt that irrespective of the circumstances, a lie was always a sin against God and was therefore never justifiable. Never. Officers and gentlemen all, Trumbull and his sidekicks, debated the dilemma. Would it not be more moral, one friend argued, to preserve the enemy soldier's life by telling him a lie than to sacrifice the man's life on their hasty path to freedom? Trumbull replied that he would not hesitate to kill that guard in an escape any more than he would have vacillated in battle if the same Confederate soldier had come up against him. It may not surprise you that Trumbull's comrades had some difficulty understanding his point of view. Listen to his words. He says, My friend then asked me on what principle I could justify the taking of a man's life as an enemy and yet not feel justified in telling him a lie in order to save his life and secure our liberty. How could it be claimed that it was more of a sin to tell a lie to a man than to kill him? Trumbull was convinced that God and truth were on his side's side. At the time, however, he had to admit that he based his certitude about truthfulness more on his innate moral sense than on a single concrete principle that he could cite to his friends. So this Johnny did not go marching home again with the others, at least not then. Trumbull chose to remain in jail until he could gain his release without dishonoring his deeply held beliefs about telling a lie. What began in that Confederate prison under circumstances that involved more than life became a lifelong study for Trumbull when he returned to civilian life and ministry. Thirty years later, he put words to the principle he felt so instinctively and adhered to so passionately during that awful summer of 1863. Trumbull posited his ethical principle in what Scripture says about the character of God. Again, he says, The powers that be are ordained of God. In the case then in question, we who were in prison as federal officers were representatives of our government and would be justified in taking the lives of enemies of our government who hindered us as God's agent in doing of our duty to God and our government. On the other hand, God who can justly take life, cannot lie. Few of our own moral choices allow us to study for a lifetime before we must respond. In a sense, then, most of our ethical choices are, quote-unquote, emergencies. Compared to the question before those imprisoned soldiers, the moral moments of my own life and the lies that I contemplate seem somewhat trivial. Whether or not my life circumstances bring me to such unusual challenges, Clay Trumbull and I both base our ethical choice on guidelines laid down in Scripture. And like Trumbull, I long for the character of God to be reflected in my life. I respect the depth of his scholarship, but like him, I must search Scripture for myself to answer that question. Is a lie ever justified? Not such an easy question after all. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Let's take a look at this one little verse. Um, and again, I'll read it to you. Therefore... Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, 
for we are all members of one body. We're going to be careful as we go through this verse. First of all, there's a therefore, and every good Bible student knows that when we see a therefore, we need to find out what it's therefore. Right, okay. So let me give you just a quick background of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to a church, probably circulated to other churches uh, in the first century. Uh, the first half of the book, the first three chapters of Ephesians, are doctrinal in nature, and they're teaching. They teach us about God and about ourselves and some of the things that he's done. Some of the great themes of, of Ephesians, in chapter 1, is the, the sovereignty and the power of God. Glorious chapter there uh, that speaks of who God is. Chapter 2 talks about God's salvation and his extending grace to us. And even though God is so distant and transcendent among, uh, above us, in chapter 1, in chapter 2, he says, here's how I'll make it possible for you to be reconciled to me and reconciled to one another. Now, don't let that word reconciled scare you. Probably a word that we would use in our vernacular today is connected, reconnected. Uh, we've been disconnected from God. Sin did that. And he's made it possible for us to be reconnected to God. We've also been disconnected from one another. That was one of the parts of the curse of the fall. Uh, we were disconnected from one another. And sadly, we still struggle with that uh, desire and need to be reconnected to one another. Uh, and that's what we see in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, uh, he continues with the theme of the continuing ministry of God's grace, primarily through the church. And then he uh, ends the book in the final three chapters, speaking about how we in the church are to function. Uh, if you flip back at the beginning part of that chapter, you're going to read in verses 1 through 3, as a prisoner for the Lord... It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That should be our desire. If we have been called as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, then we should desire to live a life that's worthy of our calling. Uh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So in many ways, that's our calling. That's uh, the goal of our lives. Um, in verse, uh, a little later on in that, in that chapter, a fascinating chapter, one of my, probably my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, but down in verse 12, he talks about the goal of our faith, the goal of the church, the goal of our lives as believers. He says uh, that we may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I would say that's a lifetime chore, isn't it? to do all of those things. But that's our goal. That's God's intention for us. And that should be our desire as a church and as believers. Uh, so we see that in verse 13. Then we come to verse 17, and the admonition there is to live changed lives. He says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, he's not discriminating here against Jews and Gentiles necessarily, but he's using the term Gentile metaphorically to describe all of those who are living apart from God or living out from under the promises of God. And we were all there at one point. Romans chapter, uh, early chapters in Romans talk about that. That's the way we once were. Ephesians 2 talks about that. But now we're not to live that way. We're, we're different people. There's a difference in our lives. And that comes right down to the difference in the way that we speak to one another, the way that we live our lives, the way that we approach our lives. So the admonition to each of us to live changed lives in verse 17. Then we come to our verse for today. It's verse 25. Uh, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Um, there's, 
if you want an outline, there's a real simple outline here. There's a, do, uh, there's a don't, there's a do, and there's a why. There's a don't and a do and a why. Uh, first of all, don't talk, don't speak falsely. Don't speak falsehood. In fact, he says the word here is to put off falsehood. Uh, the term is used many times in the New Testament. It's literally uh, used as a garment. Uh, if you remember the time when um, when uh, Stephen was cruci- when when Stephen was standing before his accusers and just before he was stoned to death, those that would stone him said they took off their garments, they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we find out quite a bit more about in the New Testament. They took those aside so they wouldn't be encumbered by them. So that's the idea. So falsehood, dishonesty, deceit, uh, lack of openness, lying is something that is not us. In fact, it hinders us from being the people that God wants us to be. And Scripture says we're to put off falsehood and we're to put on something else. So the don't is put off falsehood. The do uh, is the next verse. He says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Speak truthfully to, the, to, your, to his neighbor. The people of God have always been people who speak the truth. Uh, in Psalm 15, it's a beautiful psalm. Let me read it. It's only five verses long, so it's very quick. Lord, you may dwell in your sanctuary. Who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? In other words, who can live or exist in your presence, God? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. See, that's what a man of God or a woman of God or a child or student of God does. Uh, They're honest people. We tell the truth. The prophet Zechariah put it this way in describing uh, God's attitude towards all of this. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. And do not plot evil against your neighbor and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Don't you love it when God is just plain? Says, you know, if you're doing, I hate that. Don't do that. I don't want to tolerate it. It's not okay if it's a little white something. It's wrong. In fact, here's my attitude towards it. I hate it. It has no place in your uh, in your experience. So we see that we're to put off falsehood. We're to speak truthfully to our neighbor. And then thirdly, he says, these are the things... I'm sorry. He says, for, the reason for that is, for we are all members of one body. For we, all, we are all members of one body. This is our reason, our, our why for being honest and speaking truthfully. He gives us that... Um, uh, gives us that source. The danger of one part of our body misleading or lying to another part of the body results in pain or injury to the whole body as well as to that particular member. Now, we've all experienced that where uh, we've gone out and we're working in the yard or doing something and we injure ourselves. Last night, I tried to we, Michelle and I tried to weave in between the raindrops that were coming in and uh, we put off mowing the lawn and doing the yard work. We on Friday, because we thought, oh, Saturday would be nice. And, of course, we woke up Saturday and it was raining, so, yes, we don't have to do yard work. Well, we got out there last night because it was finally cleared up and we did the yard work. Well, I did. she did the mowing and I did the weed eating. Well, the weed eating, as most of us guys know, is the harder job, right? Much harder to weed eat than it is to mow. That's what we tell our wives. Well, I was weed eating, and like you do when you're stupid, like me, um, you weed eat in shorts. Now, you really shouldn't weed eat in shorts, Right? 
because you get it too close to your leg and what happens? Yeah, you know what happens. There's, it's, it, it hurts, doesn't it? So what you do is my arms are up here holding this weed eater and I'm getting a little too close to my legs because that cord just doesn't quite reach from the garage. So I've got to kind of turn this thing on its head and turn this way or I can't get the weeds under the water meter. Did any of you do this? Okay, you have other people that do that. That's fine. But for, for some of us, we have to do this and it doesn't quite reach it. And sure enough, it was when I was getting in under the, the weed eater, whack, 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 whack. You know, you caught several of them on your ankle. And again, your first thing you're telling yourself is, oh, that's interesting. I should have chosen to wear long pants or at least high socks. But instead, my ankle is saying, man, this really hurts. This is bad news. Now, my arms and the shoulders, they're thinking, I don't get the message. So I'm just going to stand there and keep whack, 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 whack. Now, see, my body works a little better than that. In fact, almost instantly, the ankle sends the message to the brain saying, stupid arms, pull away, you're killing us down here. So it was hurting the members. And it was important that there was communication between the members. Because not only were my ankles being hurt, but afterwards, I'm still hurt today. It's everything hurts. My arms hurt, my head hurts, my stomach hurts, and my ankles hurt. You see, that's the nature of hurt. That's the way the body works. God designed that. There's a great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about that very thing. We as the church are the body of Christ. When one member hurts, it says the whole body hurts. Uh, when one member is doing well, the whole body benefits. That's a principle, folks, that we use a lot in the church, uh, in our lives, in our small groups, in our families, in our marriages, in our families' relationships between parents and children or parents and older parents. When one part hurts, the whole body hurts. Uh, and we see that uh, illustrated here. So that's the reason why we don't lie to one another, because we're members of one another. The tragedy of leprosy, you see that in, in, in our world today and uh, many times in the New Testament, the tragedy of leprosy was that very thing. It, the nerve endings in a person's fingers and toes and nose and ears, extremities, uh, they don't function anymore. And the real tragedy of leprosy is that they cannot feel that they're pushing too hard or there's something is pressing or something is uh, injuring some part of their body and it's not sending messages back to the, to the brain. Um, and that's what happened. used to think, though, there was some sort of disease that was rotting off the extremities of the parts of the body. Well, it was actually they weren't receiving the message that, hey, guys, we're in trouble step back or don't push down so hard or step out of that fire or don't walk on those sharp rocks because they do injury to the body. And so it's very important that we're sensitive to what the other members of the body. Now, I want you to follow this because we're coming back to this subject of lying and lying, the, the danger of lying, the tragedy of lying is that we're not telling the truth not only to ourselves, but to those around us. Because if we don't communicate as ankles who are bleeding from the weed eater to the head, to the arms, saying back away from the fence, lift up, take your finger off the trigger, stop pressing that and causing more injury. And if we just say, I'm fine, we're looking good, everybody's good, nothing's wrong, how can the body help themselves? You see the value, the importance of honesty? It's not just for self-protection. It's for the health of the body. And that's why he gives us this reason here. Uh, the purpose of our honesty, honesty with ourselves and one another has to do 
with benefiting others. Now, in the next hour, I'm actually going into the co-ed class, and we're going <coughs> to, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to unpack this a little bit further because, like I said, I did have six pages of notes, so you don't get them all, but the co-ed class gets some of these. But we're going to talk about what are some of the forms of dishonesty. Uh, now, we all know that I shouldn't tell a lie because if something is right and something else is wrong, I shouldn't tell you what's wrong. But there are other forms of dishonesty. Lying is one of those forms. Cheating is another form. Making false promises is another form of dishonesty. Betraying a confidence. Um, covering up reality. Now, this, is, this could be very serious. It can be very simple. Again, as church people, we do this pretty well because we come in Sunday morning. And I can say that because I'm looking out here and you guys are looking good. Um, you're smelling good. <laughs> Everything is pretty much in order. My guess is you didn't start out today that way. Uh, I didn't. You know, I go through that first moment of the day, that first nanosecond of the day when my eyes come in contact with the mirror and there's that sudden fright and there's a certain amount of work that has to be done because I've got to cover up some things. I've got to straighten some things. I have to clean some things before I want anybody else to see them. Now you say, well, Ken, if if you're advocating that we should be truthful and honest, why don't you just kind of let it all hang out? Well, I'm reminded of that line by Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. He says, the truth, you can't handle the truth. So you know what? I'm very glad that we all did a little straightening and cleaning and adorning because we probably couldn't handle the truth, could we? And so that's not what we're advocating. It's not total transparency. It's not let it all hang out. And it's certainly not telling the truth without any respect for the consequence of that truth. And you say, well, Ken, you said earlier that if the consequences are right, maybe we could twist the truth because it will work out better for us. Uh, no, we didn't say that. And we need to look at Scripture and say, does, does, does God expect that of us? Does God expect us to be wise and, and clever and manipulate words and manipulate truth? Uh, no, because we saw in the Old Testament that God hates lies. We are people of the truth. So how do we do that? Forms of dishonesty. Forms of lying. Saying something that's just plain not true. Saying or not saying something with an intent to deceive. How many times have we done that? Well, I, I didn't actually, I didn't actually say that. I didn't actually use those words. And you know the little guy in your shoulder, the little lady in your shoulder needs to be saying to you at that moment, yeah, yeah, but did you intend to deceive them? I caught myself doing this and I, I guess maybe we all do this. I, Please tell me we all do this so I feel better about it. But um, when, when you're in a family reunion, I did this a couple of weeks ago, and these are people you only see once a year. So, you know, truth is what you make it, right? How you doing? What you been up to? What's going on in your life? How are your kids? How is your marriage? How is your church? How is your job? And we're talking all of these things, and, and we're kind of adorning it a little bit. But I realized, okay, I'm going to say it this way, so that they don't ask about this, because if they ask about this, I really don't want to talk about that, because that's a little uncomfortable, that's a little messy, or it's going to take too long for me to backfill all of the story that, that went into it. So we choose to say, let me just spin it this way. Spin, that's the word we use today for lying, don't we? Spin, folks, is lying. It's making you believe something that I want you to believe. It's deceiving you. There's an intent to deceive. So don't get technical on the words because the words might be just right. 
but our intent is still to, de- to deceive somebody. That's a basic definition of lying. Exaggeration. Exaggeration takes a kernel of truth and adds some other stuff to it so that it sounds better. Um, but it's, it's not quite the truth. Flattery, the same way we do that. Now, flattery, again, has its place. Um, marriage, let me talk about marriage a second. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to say, right? Honey, uh, does this outfit, outfit make me look, and you fill in the blank. Uh, do, do these, do, and how do you respond to that? Oh, honey, <laughs> I tell you, I have seen some models in my day, but I can't even begin to compare. You're, you know, we kind of want to do that because it's the loving thing to do. You don't want to say, Ugh. no, you don't want to do that initial reaction that you do when you see yourself in the mirror in the morning. You do that to a spouse and the day is done. Uh, the day is history. But how do we, how do we manage that? How do we say, ah, you look great, you look great. And we, we do it in different ways to kind of deceive others. Um, let me be real transparent with you. It's not really hard to hide this, but... I'm a little overweight as a man my age. I'm 51 years old. Um, I am about six foot tall, but I'm about 250 pounds. Well, one of the tricks that a 250-pound, 51-year-old man can do is wear black. Because black is what? Slimming. Thank you. Yeah, so not that I would ever do that, especially if I'm in front of people. But you see, it's those subtle things. And I was dressing this morning, and I thought... Ken, what are you doing? You're going to get up and preach on honesty and you're dressing in black so everyone thinks you're, you're thin and athletic and about to go try out for the cowboys. Guys, I'm not fooling anybody. But you see, how many of those kinds of things do we do? How many decisions have you already made today? The car you drove, the things you said to your wife, the things you said to your kids, the things you said to your boss this week, the thing you said in that sale that just wouldn't quite have gotten done if, if it was really totally true, but if I shade it a little bit, then things will work out better for me. You see, at that point, we've committed the ultimate sin. We have become God. We have replaced God in our lives, God who is sovereign, God who is all-knowing, God who is all-loving, and saying to him, essentially, God, I can't trust you. I know you want me to tell the truth, but you know, I figured it out that not telling the truth will really work out better for everybody. So I'm going to twist this a little bit. And the first time you look around and say, hmm, nothing really happened. In fact, kind of some good things happened. So next time it becomes easier to twist it again and twist it again. I've talked to men and women, and I've experienced this in my own life, where you get so used to that minor twisting that you almost forget what truth is. You almost forget what reality is. You never really walk in front of a mirror without kind of gearing up before you get to the mirror what you're going to see. And we paint that reality for ourselves. And we end up lying to ourselves. We end up uh, deceiving ourselves. Uh, there's reasons for dishonesty, and we'll talk more about this in the, in the next hour. Um, I love what um, uh, science fiction writer Tad Williams wrote this. Um, he says, we tell lies when we are afraid, afraid of what we don't know, afraid of what others will think, afraid of what will be found out about us. But every time we tell a lie, the thing that we fear grows stronger. So we lie uh, out of fear many times. Uh, Let me look at a couple of things here, and then we're going to close. Um, Being honest with ourselves. Uh, Listen to this quote from a great Russian novelist, uh, 
Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, any of you have read him, you've probably read a very long book by Dostoevsky or some of his essays. In one of those he writes, a man who lies to himself and believes his own lies becomes unable to recognize truth either in, him, in himself or in anyone else. And he ends up losing respect for himself and for others. That happens, doesn't it? As soon as we tell a lie, you just as a believer especially, you don't feel great about it because we've just gone against our nature. We lose respect for ourselves. When, we, when, he, when he has no respect for anyone, he can no longer love. And in him, he yields to his impulses, indulges in the lowest form of pleasure, and behaves in the end like an animal in satisfying his vices. And it all comes from lying to others and lying to yourself. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote, No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which one is true. Who am I really? And then our lying becomes an identity issue. Uh, what am I really like? Who can people count on me to be? How do people view me? How do people see me? Uh, there's four words I often use when I have the chance to do Bible studies with the men in our church. And I say, guys, we toss these words around, but we need to understand them. And you'll remember these guys that have been in those studies because I put them on the board. Um, and there are things that we need to remember. The, the words are character, reputation, integrity, and hypocrisy. Character is simply defined as what is real. If you're a man or a woman of character, somebody is trying to find out what is real about Now, you could be of good character. You could be of bad character. But your character says who you really are. On the other hand, your reputation is that which is known about you. It may not be consistent with who you are, but it's, it's what is known about you. Oftentimes, lying is something that we use to fabricate our reputation so that people don't get through to our character. That leads us to that third word, and it's the word of integrity. A person of integrity is somebody that the way you see them, their reputation, is the person that they really are, their character. We remember from mathematics in grade school that an integer is a, is a, a number that has the same number on top of the line as it has on the bottom of the line, Correct? And it's a whole number. And a whole person is somebody that beneath the line, beneath the surface, the person that they are is the same person that we know on the surface. Now that ugly word, the fourth word, hypocrisy, is that that is the person that we are known to be is different than the person beneath the surface. Now, guys, let me relieve a little guilt. We're all hypocrites. <laughs> uh, some of us wear black. Uh, some of us drive a car that we really shouldn't be driving. Some live in a home we shouldn't be living in. Some say things about our jobs that not really the whole truth, but generally true. But it's not what's below the line is not the same as what's portrayed above the line. And we do that because I'm afraid of what you might think of me. Or sometimes we might do that out of good reasons, out of compassion. I say, well, if I told you the truth... It would not only hurt or embarrass me, but it might hurt somebody else. So I'm justified to tell the truth if it doesn't hurt another person. Uh, really? Uh, is that, again, have we taken the God card back and said, you know, I know better how to do this than God does. So let me take this back and let me do this myself. Um, so being honest with ourselves. Character, reputation, integrity, hypocrisy. 
Um, and we'll talk about gossip. That's another form of lying. We'll talk about that uh, in, our, in our next hour. Um, in closing, let me just share five principles, five practical dimensions of a truthful community. And truthful community could be your marriage. It could be your family. Certainly is our church, Rock Point Church. It could be your small group, should be your small group. Um, but these things should be true of a truthful community. The community must promote truthfulness. In other words, telling the truth and being honest should be a big deal to us around here. We shouldn't be phony people. In fact, that's the very thing that outsiders who are really not with us today will usually point to with us and saying, you know those people over there? I see what they look like, but I think the opposite is true because they're just a bunch of hypocrites or they're phony. And see, for us to live an integrated life where what we see is who we really are does so much for our witness to the watching world, to the outside to the outside world. We promote truthfulness by modeling it in our own lives, by affirming those around us who tell the truth. Uh, sometimes somebody says the truth to us and, and you know, everything within us is like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe that that's true. I can't believe that you did that. And as soon as we do that, it sends a message to that person saying, man, telling the truth is a bad thing. One of the things we need to learn is to affirm that. To be able to say, you know, you just spoke out of your heart and you just spoke honestly to me and that had to have been very hard. In fact, maybe kind of embarrassing, maybe kind of difficult, not even sure if you should have said that, but, but you did it. And I just want to tell you, that, that communicates value to me. That communicates that you love me, that you respect me enough to trust me with the truth. You see, it's that kind of affirming that we do. Now, it's difficult to do that in a, set, in a setting like this, but in your families in your small group where you're dialoguing back and forth with one another, there should be that opportunity to say, you know, you, you told the truth even when it hurt. And that's okay. Not that, not that what was happened might not be wrong or bad, but at least we know. And now the head can communicate to the shoulders and the arm to pick up the weed eater, to stop hurting the ankles. Because as one part of the body knows truth about the rest of the body, then we're able to help. So the first principle, five uh, of these dimensions of uh, community. The community must promote truthfulness. And that involves correcting those who don't tell the truth. Uh, second, the community must discern the truth in difficult situations. It's not always cut and dry. Sometimes you need to go to somebody or we need to go to somebody and say, look, this is what I'm facing. And it just seems to me like a no-win situation. Can I get some wisdom from you? Or would you pray for me? Or would you pray with me? Or... Can I just talk this out with you? Because truth is not all that black and white at the end of the day. Even less so in our world today. Um, and sometimes we have to say, you know, I have to communicate something to my parents who are facing end-of-life decisions or living transitions. Or I have to say something to my children that's true, but it's going to kill them when I say that to them. Or I have to... Could you help me? How, to, how does this come across when I say it? Am I too filled with emotion? Am I too filled with a... Is there another motive in my communicating? So we bounce that off of one another. You need a trusting environment where you can do that. You need a friend. You need accountability. You need support and encouragement. A loving community. Community members must share the truth about ourselves. We've just talked about that. Fourthly, the community must tell the truth about ourselves. The community must tell us the truth about ourselves. 
You see, I'm helped when I walk through here on a Sunday or I come through my small group and I spend time with you and I walk away from there not just totally affirmed, but sometimes corrected, sometimes instructed, sometimes even rebuked. Because in doing that, you have sharpened me to be a better person. You have sharpened me to walk more correctly with God. Instead of saying, I hope somebody tells them about that someday. No, we tell you about that today so that it makes a difference. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of continually reminding one another of the truth of the gospel. That's a fascinating study. If you just take the little word truth and you do a word study through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, how often it surfaces. You will be amazed how often that little word and that concept surfaces. It is a big deal to God, the truth. As disciples of Christ, we have the privilege of continually reminding one another of the truth of the gospel. That truth is we are saved, not by our good works, but by God's grace through our faith in Christ. We are forgiven because Christ bore the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross. The truth is that nothing exists that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing you do will ever cause God to be angry at you or to reject you or to turn his face from you. We need to hear that from one another. Those times when we have really messed up. We've got to hear somebody say, you know, God loves you just as much today, just as much after you messed up, just as much. And then we have the privilege of telling the truth about Jesus to those around us. Um, my invitation to those of you who are believers, those of us in the body of Christ, is to uh, think about these things. Is it wrong to lie? Everybody knows that answer. Yeah, it's wrong to lie. But what about this situation? And sometimes it might be a little journal you keep. Maybe it's just a little note card. Maybe it's something and you're just saying, okay, let me reflect back on the last 12 hours or the last hour or the last conversation. Did I, was I honest? Was I truthful? Did I respect that person? Did I respect myself? Am I living as a person of truth? Does God look at me and say, son, daughter, you represent me well for your living with great respect for the truth? Now, if you're not in the family, don't try to do that thinking that you're going to win uh, God's favor. Uh, that's not how it's done. You see, there's nothing in us that can win God's favor. We can't get him on our side. We cannot spin God. We need to be honest with him. And when we come to him, if you've never come to that point, you come to Christ, as the old hymn says, just as I am. Without one plea, <laughs> I have nothing going for me. But I'm coming to you. Uh, just as I am. So our invitation to you is that you place your life uh, in Jesus' hands. Uh, that you'd say, I don't understand you. I don't understand life. I certainly don't understand me and the predicament I'm in. But, you know, I trust what your word says. And I honor that. And I ask you to come in and make a difference in my life.